Welcome to Dad Bod History. I'm Eric. We've got Jake and Cameron. Uh, Nick might show up. We'll see. Uh, Jake's waving to you. So welcome. We're going to continue with this uh, from pandemic to progress uh, theme, the series. And uh, But before we do that, do we have a message from like Bliller Light or Bluers Beer? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you don't have to do it if it's Paps. That's cheap enough where you can just say. Paps. I didn't say Paps. Um, you don't have to, you don't have to say the name. Um, no, before well, yes, I do want to talk about that. But did you watch uh, Middle Ditch? And oh my Schwartz? gosh! So that <laughs> night, that night, I I did you you watched it? I I got into bed and and I put on my phone and I'm just like giggling and it's just like shaking the bed and and I don't think my wife was too thrilled with that um yeah you know the next day she's like what short were you Paul, watching I'm like, oh, oh my god <laughs> well yeah i was i was texting you as i'm watching I'm like this is this is killing it um yeah. yeah it was it was pretty good um i thoroughly enjoyed i think i watched the first two episodes i might be into the third so they're going on tour they were touring with that and then they had to shut it down. So I think they had like eight episodes lined up and the last five got postponed. Thanks, COVID. So, yeah. Jerk. My son well, I talks hope they about pick it up again when they how can, much he wants to was... punch coronavirus in the face. That's what he says. Well, okay. punch coronavirus in the face. I think that's the, the villain of our time. Like, all right. I mean, that's our Hitler. But one yeah, of our corona. one of our dozens of Hitlers right now. Um, We've got a few, apparently. Maybe like Idi Amin at at best. Uh, hey, Cameron, did you? Uh, first of all, you got to watch Middle Ditch and, Sh- and Schwartz. Well, it's, it's I have a recommendation. Yeah, I've, I've, I've got enough. I've got enough things that my wife makes fun of me for as it is. So me giggling, you know. Jake watches to myself. Korean films, I mean, yeah. I mean, I can't. So. Mystic. Okay. So don't make fun one, of me. For here's it. what happens. Bree's watching it, uh-huh. and uh-huh. I'll be, I'll be like. That's why I got into a discovery like, oh, of witches. What do you want to watch? And Twilight. <laughs> so there's this one called Mystic. To all the K-pop fans in our audience, of which there's many, I'm sure. Um, Mystic Pop Up Bar. That's a good one. Check it out. So, that's all I'm gonna say. But anyway, uh, when you get a chance, Cameron, go shame watch Middle Ditch and Schwartz in your car when the, when nobody like in your garage, nobody yeah. can see you. So I'll make so sure she doesn't know. Exactly. Oh, it killed. Hey, it speaking killed. of uh, no, I got Cameron. I got a recommendation. <laughs> to, oh, yeah, but it's not for you, Jake. Sorry. And it's not because you you take recommendations and just toss them out the window. Um, is it is it because do. I'm not Lutheran? Is that why you you should you should read <laughs> this? I'm not going to now. Um, yeah, just I'm just never like, going to read that book. So I was just Cameron, about to buy the book, and then you said it's not a book. I wouldn't. No, Cameron's not going to read the books I read. Well, no, okay. Uh, it's a hey, podcast. It's only on Spotify. An oral yeah. history of The Office, hosted by really? Brian Baumgartner. Kevin. Is that it? Oh, no. Oh. So it just got released a few days ago. And uh, they're like, it's like three episodes in out of 12. And it's just retelling uh-huh. like the whole story of The Office. And it, I'm listening to three episodes so far. It's fascinating. And that guy's and voice you... is uh, totally a, a must must listen. Oh, his, his yeah, that's, actual that's voice? Like, that's like velvet. And he's actually a ball player. He can play basketball. Really? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you so, know what? I yeah. remember. I remember the basketball episode, and at the end, they He's had, just they show shooting. him making yeah. like twelve or thirteen jumpers in a row, like yeah. from eighteen feet. That that was the thing. He was a great basketball. He was a good basketball player. He might have played in college or something as well. Um, yeah. Not unlike yourself. Um, Did you notice? 
that a lot when I, there's another podcast uh fake doctors real friends which is zach braff and donald Faison from scrubs they've got a podcast so apparently that's the thing if you had a successful show now you can podcast about it uh, well we're, we're doing just this, doing, we're doing backwards. this backwards <laughs> yeah what the hell were we thinking oh my god and, and uh, these guys need to plug us now so you're welcome all these other podcasts yeah, yeah. return the favor plug us back brian uh, he definitely will, mm-hmm. and he'll make us a pot of chili as well. That's right. Right off Spilled the carpet. Um, hey, hey, uh, Big Country, did you get your AC fixed? I sure did. I sure did. Yeah. Um, that home warranty is really paying off right about is now. It? <laughs> it's like 40 bucks a month, and they've, yeah. they've shelled out a lot of money lately. So it so. broke again when we were filming, actually, the first episode yeah. of Pandemic to Progress, and... You were worried you're gonna have to replace it. Is that what happened? Right. Well, I'm I'm actually not worried that I, I get to replace it because hoping to replace two or, it. Two or three more trips, they're they're gonna be like, yeah, replace okay, it, you yeah. need a new one. So, knock on wood. <laughs> well, that's good. I'm glad it got taken care of. So. Yeah. You, so if you notice the the extra sweat from last episode, that's why. My wife texted me midway through and said, "Hey, you feel how hot it is?" I was I'm able to go the, frame yeah. by frame and edit that out. <laughs> it took me 20 hours of work but you know <laughs> i couldn't sync jake's audio but i got the sweat off your brow <laughs> that's what's important really is no it is definitely you look good you play um, good man that's that's been your motto as long as i've known you it's true so and if you don't look good Digitally edit until you do look good is what Eric's motto is. Just fix it in post. <laughs> fix it in post. So, all right. I guess that's enough. We won't talk about your pretentious beer today, Eric. We'll talk about that on another episode. No, it's fine. I, um, so I picked it up at the local, it's not even, a, it's like a gourmet gas station, I'll call it, that we have here. And uh, it's from High Water, High Water I'm Brewing. I'm sorry, what? No, 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 no. Yeah. <laughs> A gourmet gas station. <laughs> so you want to? If one of you would just like, dude, visit me, fine. is there a guy in the well, bathroom if, that just, gives you a, a spritz of cologne? <laughs> I've never been in the bathroom there, so I can't. You, I can't you a speak to that. Mint? Listen, you just need to come visit me, and I'll take you. There's there's actually two of these gas stations within five minutes of me. They've got walk-in so beer, walk-in beer fridges, like the big walk-in. Uh-huh. And uh, they sell a yeah. lot of wine. It's a it's a night. It's very nice on the inside. They usually have like bakery items. I mean, listen to you hyping this this gourmet gas station. Listen, they uh, each week they have a a, a finer things club meeting. <laughs> well, I haven't been invited to those yet. Gourmet gas station. Yeah. Anyways, okay. So, so what high water brewing gourmet camp- gas station. Campfire Stout. Now, the one I had with dinner uh, was like uh, pull-away orange. You know those chocolate oranges that you can get? You ever had those? I, no. My gas station isn't that nice. No. No, but this isn't from the gas station. The, the chocolate oranges that you can get around Christmas time, maybe. And and they they peel away into the little orange wedges and it's like orange chocolate and it's okay, a beer that's yeah, flavored I like that. I got you. It was really good. I'm just saying. Cal- California's changed you, man. That's all I'm saying. Uh, can I... Hold on. Let me get a wine. I want to interest... <laughs> hopefully you can show some interest in this wine. <laughs> it's a 2013. I don't know anything about wine. Keep it under eight bucks. That's all I say. Eight buck wine. Get that box wine at Franzia. All right. Well, I guess I have to visit visit you now. I told you. What you wait for? Yeah, no, you're right. That was my bad. I chose not to, and little did I know what I was missing out on. So, Cameron, we'll have to make a trip out there for sure. Yes. In the in the near future. Bring your equipment. We'll record awesome. in the same room finally. <laughs> oh my god, that'd be so fun. Yeah, I don't know how we'd set that up, but it'd be fun. I mean, we'd still zoom it, right? We'd still all be looking on separate screens, but we'd all be right next to each other. It'd just be echo everywhere. Yeah, that sounds epic. And then, 
And then your son, and then your son would run behind us, and you'd see him pop, 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 all from one screen to the next. Okay, that that would be cool to destroy the illusion. <laughs> that actually be pretty cool. Yeah. Anyway, all right. Um, well, when the when the pandemic ends, that's what we'll have to do. It's come. Funny you should bring that up. So we're going to talk about the pandemic today, right? We are going. Yeah, yeah. Let's get into that. So uh, I- what we're talking about today is. Well, we, we, I guess what we talked about the first episode was the hor- historical context. We didn't do a very good pandemics job, and specific, honestly, keeping it in context. No, we did a terrible job, but that's okay. Yeah, we 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 went off on politics and and other stuff, which was definitely fun to talk about. But we were kind of highlighting the historical context of the the Black Death or the bubonic plague and um, the epidemic or influenza of 1918, also known as the Spanish flu, and um, and while we didn't get into a lot of like the, and it's a shame we didn't because the, I think the, the personal details and the human stories that I found, especially when researching the bubonic plague was just, it was really captivating um, hearing about how all these, these people that were living like in Florence and Venice and they were writing these stories and they were saying how people were just falling over dead and, and, you know, and, and fathers were losing sons and, and mothers losing daughters and, and it just gave you this human element. And I think that's something we forget with history uh, in general is when we look at, and especially the farther back you go, is we look at a thing like the Black Plague or you look at something like the Crusades or the the Persian Wars, uh, the Peloponnesian Wars. And um, you say, oh, well, this many people died and these battles were fought here and this is who won. And here's some consequences of that, but you don't really get into the, the human side of it. Um, sometimes it gets lost in, in kind of the, in the math, if that makes sense, or in the facts, like the cold hard facts, kind of, that's what we focus on. It was interesting for me to read, and I, I don't want to spend too much time talking about it, but one of these quotes um, from uh, Agnolo de Tura, and he said, it's impossible for the human tongue to recount the awful truth. Indeed, one who did not see such horribleness can can be called blessed. The victims died al- almost immediately. They would swell beneath the armpits, and then they would fall over while talking. Father abandoned child, wife, husband, brother, one brother, another. For this illness seemed to strike through breath and sight. And so they died. None could be found to bury the dead for money or for friendship. Like, it's just, it paints this picture of devastation. Um... And I think that's something that even though we were talking about it last week, like up to 60% of the people in Europe died from this. We were looking at it like as just a number. Like, yeah, it was bad. A lot of people died. But then you see these these accounts that were people were writing down. It was like on a personal level, it really kind of struck me. Yeah. And I think yeah, and, while and I this think that's pandemic where... is not even close to the – yeah, it's not even the close numbers. to the Black Death or, or the 1918 numbers-wise, but yet there's still these personal accounts that people are dealing with today. And, and you ended the last episode saying, we're asking people to give up kind of their livelihood, but they don't have a personal, they don't know somebody that has it or has been tested for it or has died from it. Yeah. Um, and I think that's, it's always important to, well, I'm, personally in my family is healthy and we haven't experienced this. There are families out there that are grieving and going through these losses. And that's something I just want to touch on before we went into this next episode. Yeah. And and I think that's kind of, I wanted to, again, touch on some of that stuff before we got into this because, you know, we did get off track. You know, I talked, you know, I talked a little bit about the people who don't have incentive to get back to work and other people do have incentive to get back to work and also someone posted this morning um tom posted this morning i saw his post and he basically said oh yeah we're we're approaching the same number of deaths that the u.s um dealt with in world war one or we've surpassed that in the u.s Mm -hmm. why can't people just just kind of get on board and he says, and we're soon getting to be to World War II numbers. And I kind of said, I'm not disagreeing with you. Like, I'm, I'm doing the things I think should do. Wear a mask, social distance, wash my hands more than once a week. 
And I, you know, it's a, but good. the thing is, it's it's not as uh, it's not as visceral for some people. It's not tangible. Like now, I know more people mm-hmm. now than I did a week ago. Well, a week ago, I didn't know anyone who had gotten this. Now I know a handful of people, and they're generally fine. Mm-hmm. But uh, I haven't seen, I haven't buried anyone, I haven't been in the hospital with anyone. So it, for someone like me and other people like me, it's it hasn't become real, like World War One or Vietnam was when you knew people were leaving to go off to war and that some were dying. It's mm-hmm. uh, so it's hard for people to change behavior, which is kind of what this whole series is about, um, if they don't see it, if it's not very real to them. And this is an invisible enemy, and I know that's very cliche, but that's the truth. You know, if China dropped a bomb on San Francisco, it'd be a totally different story. And I think um, Jake and I have gone around around about this in the past, but... Um, the difference between is history and art or a science, you know, there's such a tendency to go into the numbers to your point, Jake, and say, oh, 60% or whatever the death rate was. Um, but we forget that, yeah, you know, it takes some some storytelling skills to be able to look at that one individual and look through their, their mind to see what their experiences are. And, and I think that's why we're doing the episode that we're doing now today. Um, to, yes, we put it a little bit in context and historically and all of that, but what's happening today through the eyes of people. Not that that didn't happen before, um, but it's going to be an interesting comparison to to see what are people going through today versus, you know, previous pandemics. Yeah, and, and I think I think that's the goal. And, and I, th- I think the, the theme of this episode is we're going to talk about kind of how this pandemic has affected us in different aspects of our life without, I mean, getting obviously into too much detail about that, but just in general, kind of how has it affected us in our job or how has it affected us at home or um, with uh, schooling, sending either sending our kids or if, if you're a teacher and getting ready for the next school year. Um, I think there's a lot of areas that even though I really only know of me personally and one person that had it. Uh, my wife knows two other people that did, and um, and that's kind of the closest our connection is with it. But even so, it's still affecting our lives as our family, and um, and is affecting other people's lives, you know, indirectly. Um, so even though they may not see it, why do I need to do this, this, and this? It, there are changes that are happening to us on a national scale. And um, so that that's kind of my goal here is to look at it that way. Um, so I don't know how you want to start, Eric, but I, I think maybe just I'll I'll start. Um, I mean, I have a bunch of different things that I was thinking about how my life has changed, but I guess the first one would be my job and how I go about work. And um, you know, when this all happened, our boss was really great, I think, and he was very much like. Obviously, we're going to do what the governor says. Um, and then he was like, he set up, he says, if you want to work from home, go work from home. If that's how, and and we have a job that luckily you don't have to be in the office really to do your job. But we didn't know that you could do your whole job without ever coming into the office. That was an untested theory for us. And so I was the only one that it was like, I want to stay in. I need to be able to come into the office. And, and my boss was like, yeah, that's fine. Um, but pretty much everyone else, except for a few people, those first few weeks went home and they ran the numbers on it. And like, or can we, can we still do our jobs? Can we still be a productive company um, without people coming into the office? And, and the lesson that we learned was, yeah, you can. And so now he's looking at it, not only for the interim of this crisis, but will we be able to do this when it's over? Um, you know, there's a lot of moms, there's a lot of dads that work at our company is, and is the flexibility that they can work for the business as well in terms of space. Well, and that was the thing is 
literally right before this happened, we were about to terminate our lease and get ready to move into a new office in August. Um, so it's five months ago almost now. And once this happened, that changed everything because the office we were going to move in was bigger. It had nicer amenities. But now we're like, no, we can stay in this office at least until this crisis is over. And when we do move, we'll probably move into a smaller space than we thought we were going to move into because we realized you don't need to have everyone show up every day from eight to five or six to three or whatever it is to be an effective company. Now, granted, our company isn't like a lot of others. And, and so being virtual or, or um, asynchronous is um, a lot easier for us. But even then, there's been a learning curve. How do you manage the people beneath you if they aren't there physically? And, and But suffice all that to say is that it's radically shifted how our small little company is going to do business, not only now, but past this pandemic. And I think that's one of the biggest first changes that I saw in my life. Even I, I don't go into the office as much every day and I work from home every Wednesday. So it's, um, it's changed how I do work and it's probably going to continue to change how I do work in the future. And I don't know. If, and from what I understand, you guys have had the same. Because I, I I know a couple of people that you work with or have worked with in the past. I, I believe that the culture of your company is pretty positive, right? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And, and so that Absolutely. that lends itself to the kind of culture that you build in an organization, then kind of trickles down into trust. In that, you know, while I'm not seeing you over your shoulder every day, that you're still doing. The job that needs to be done. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm, I'm curious. Go ahead, Eric. Sorry. No, I didn't have anything. I was just mumbling. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm curious. <laughs> Good to know. I'm curious to see how things go. You know, now that school's about to start, you know, there's there's a couple of different scenarios in, in the family. You know, you mentioned that your company, Jake, that there's a lot of moms and a lot of dads. Um, what about those families where both spouses are working and they're working from mm-hmm. home for the first time and school may or may not be open in the fall. So how are employers um, going to deal with that? I, I was just, I had a conversation with a um, kid in our neighborhood. He's a high school kid in our neighborhood just today, coincidentally. And he said that his mom was going to kind of do a shift, a, a split shift at work. Because he's, you know, there's like four kids in the family and they've got younger kids. Mom's going to go to work from 10 to 2 and then 8 p.m. to midnight. And she's going to get those hours in and she's going to be working from home. But in the middle, she's going to be teaching the kids who are going to be doing Mm -hmm. online learning. And, you know, some that's different in every family, but it's going to be interesting six months from now or however long this pandemic lasts to see oh, is life really better um, under those circumstances, especially when both parents are working from home? I think the the education question we're kind of leaning into right now is, I I think that's in one of our future episodes in terms of what does that look like in the future? Um, Because those are some really good questions and some really good what ifs. Um, Yeah. I kind of wanted to, we talked about how this was a, about kind of personal experience and, and with this whole thing. Um, and I, and I was thinking about what that is in, in my mind. And I, there's, there's kind of like this, this timeline of events that happens for me. Um, cause I had first heard about this virus in January in Wuhan in the Hebei province of China. And, you know, it, because we had heard this before, right? We heard this with some of the other viruses that had come out, the swine flu, the avian flu, kind of from the same region of the world. It's on the other side of the world. It's not going to affect us too much. And when it does, it just wasn't too concerned. But I do know it was kind of in my head. Um, we traveled to uh, the Bay Area in end of January. So it was kind of in my mind knowing that, that that area has a lot of travel to and from 
Asia and but you know didn't think much of it at all and then our first staff meeting in February for those that don't know I'm an educator um, was the first time that we had discussed it as a staff and said we're watching this we're monitoring this um, because there's a, a couple cases in the US we shut down Europe uh, I think we shut down travel from China at this point and so mm -hmm. you know we're just tracking it and then February a couple cases happen and then our first staff meeting in March, which would have been, uh, would have been like the fourth of March. Um, we said, you know, we said we have a we have a plan in place. Should we shut things down? That next weekend was the first the first place I know of that was shut down was Fremont, Nebraska. The town of Fremont, Nebraska, shut itself down on March 8th. And that was due primarily to, um, they had a, a like a YMCA potluck, and one, and 500 people were in that building, and one person tested positive. So they shut down the whole town, public schools, Catholic school, Lutheran school, <clears throat> for a week, and then there was spring break. And so they were going to be shut down for two weeks. Um, we have a former student who's there in Fremont. The three of us do. Well, not you, Cameron. Oh. Um, Tara. Tara's out there. So they shut that down. Awesome. And uh, and then the following week, we had conferences on the Thursday and Friday. There were half days. And Wednesday, the 11th, was the night that the NBA postponed the Utah Jazz game. And then later that night, suspended the season. We had just finished up our basketball season on Tuesday, March 10th. Um, and so Thursday and Friday, we're in parent-teacher conferences, the second half of the day, fielding these questions. We said, we have a, we have a plan if it comes to <clears throat> And so it was Sunday night, the 16th, that uh, the teachers all got a text that basically said, emergency meeting at 8 a.m., school is canceled tomorrow, and for the week, we'll have emergency staff meeting at 8 a.m., and we'll, we'll hammer out our plans. And so we went into that mode. <clears throat> uh, thankfully, our administrator, you know, has, has provided childcare a lot of these circumstances for us. So, you know, we were able to bring our, our kids to school and there was people there to watch them. And then we just, we worked <clears throat> uh, Monday and Tuesday to, to figure this out uh, so that Wednesday we could distribute materials and Thursday we could actually start the distance learning program that in our mind mm -hmm. at that point was going to last two weeks. We were prepared for two weeks, did, and, and then we would go from there. How, how did that line up with spring break for you, Eric? Uh, our spring break is tied to Easter. So our spring break was like the second week of April. So we knew okay. that we were going to do, I think this was March 16th, we were going to do three weeks of distance learning, do spring break, and then uh, depending, we'd come back from spring break yeah, if possible. Yeah. So we were like, we're going to prepare for three, well, two and a half weeks of instruction. Because the first three days of that, that first week, we just said, there's no school these days. We are doing our, our prep work. Um, you know, so it was just, it was obviously strange for everyone. Um, kind of exhilarating. And then two weeks became a month. And yeah. Then I mean, a month became... But I'll the say that, that week, those first two days of planning were kind of, when I say exhilarating, I mean it was like when you're thrown into the fire of a crisis and, you know, there's people that, that kind of panic and worry. Um, and I found that I was just sitting there trying to find, well, what's the opportunity here? What are the things that we're going to change that I'm sitting there looking I'm like, well, now I'm forced to use tools that maybe I didn't want to because it was you know, with people in the classroom, I didn't need to. So it, it forced me to really start looking at some uh, other instructional methods and uh, kind of just embracing that opportunity. So when I say exhilarating, I mean, it was like kind of a rush in terms of you're going to cram a bunch of new information and try to figure out how to do your best to solve this problem. And that was 
aside from the context, was kind of fun. How do you feel about that now? Are you still exhilarated or are you... I mean, well, now, um, as we are planning to go back and we are planning to go back in person, live on campus with a lot of measures in place. And they're measures that make me mm-hmm. uh, frustrated because I don't want to... I don't want to leave my classroom to go teach. I want students coming to me because it's my space. You know, you, you've all taught, so you know the power of having a space that's your own. When students walk into your space, um, yeah, it's your domain, and, and, right? and they just kind of they they whether you you have strong classroom management or, or or not, they they know it when they walk through the door. So now it's different. And I'm, like I said, I'm not excited about that, but I'd rather do that than do distance learning again. Um, I mean, we're a month out from starting. So I'm already, I'm starting to look at how I'm going to teach knowing that I can't do a lot of group work. Can't have students over the same surfaces. Um, you know, like, so diplomacy, right? I love, teaching with diplomacy well how am i going to get three kids to sit close to each other and whisper to each other and then go whisper to other groups without being an issue right so i have to rethink Mm -hmm. how do i teach that type of game in a different format that that doesn't have kids in groups right Mm -hmm. um so there's a lot of the activities that i like to do that require kind of cooperative hands-on work i just they're not going to be possible in their current format. So maybe not exhilarating at this point. I'm a little bit stressed out, but I'm also just taking a look at everything that I do and how I'm going to transfer it into a form that should we need to shut down can quickly be transferred to a digital form or is already in the digital form. And the only difference is where the students and the teacher are in space. So. Yeah. And I I think it's cool, Eric, to, Obviously, I'm an ex-teacher and, and love listening into this stuff, but I'm always impressed by on the, hiatus. the outlook. Teacher on hiatus. Uh, that's right. That's right. Just a matter of time before I get back in the game. Exactly. No, you too, um, Jake. It's, what? What was that? It's, it's fascinating to me to see that, um, that mindset because so many teachers are there. Unfortunately, we all know bad teachers. We all know bad doctors, bad whatever um, that are on autopilot and they're unwilling to change and and make that adjustment or or whatever. But, you know, that's kind of your default anyway, I think pandemic or not is to say, how can I tweak this? How can I make this better? Um, And and adjust to the times of of teaching. And that's really a huge, huge part of just teaching in general, but some teachers do that better than others. Mm -hmm. And one thing I, I think that you hit on right there is that it'll force people to change. And I think Eric, you're always, when when I taught with you, and obviously when, when we all taught, all three of us taught together, one of the things that's your strength is that you were always pushing the envelope, yeah. like for the next best thing or the next great thing. I always thing. felt like I was the and, top And saying, gun how can teacher. we do this better? Like Just I was Maverick, maybe Iceman. Oh, Wait, <laughs> I, this, okay. this isn't in the script that we've talked about. So, I think we need to like divert. I, I derailed One of your strengths is your ability to push the envelope. One of your weaknesses <laughs> is you can't just take a compliment. <laughs> I can't. I hate that. I hate taking compliments. Or the compliment that we give you isn't good enough is basically what happens. <laughs> so anyway, that's one of the things that when when this first started happening and you were telling me about how you were adjusting and I, I said that, I go, well, that's one of the things that you've always been good at is the ability to say, how can we do what we're doing better? We don't just do this because that's the way we've always done it. And I think there's going to be a lot of people in every field and in every profession and in every industry that are going to be forced to change how they do things. And I think it's going to be on a permanent basis and they're going to struggle with that. But then there's other people like yourself that have already been looking to change and see, how can I do this? How can I take this thing that I want to accomplish and do it better? And those people I think are really going to thrive. And I think that's, one of the exciting opportunities that's that exists in a, in a in a crisis like this where it's 
it's totally upending how we do things. And we'll get into those specifics more in a later mm-hmm. episode. But I think that's, you are uniquely suited with how you have always approached your job and how you've always approached teaching specifically in that it's never just been, well, I found one thing that works for me, so I'm just going to do that for the next 30 years. You've never been like that. And I think this is just another opportunity that's forcing a lot of people and yourself. You said, you know, I'd rather still teach in person than distance learning, but it's still, um, it's still forcing you to be creative and you've always been good at being um, creative with how you deliver content and how you get the students to to take that and use it, uh, which I think has been a really good skill. I want to do the yeah, water balloon war for 30 years, though. That's the problem. <laughs> well, I mean, there's some things you just keep because they're I, awesome. So it's not, water balloon yeah. war, probably not pandemic safe. No. <laughs> No, you're you're sending literal virus bombs across <laughs> from one group of students to another. How many <laughs> kids touched this balloon the worst before way I launched to do this. it? All of them. All of them right. touched it. Right. All of them. Every single one. And there's a certain well, amount of slobber on it and you know, boogers yeah. from tying it and everything. How about you, Cameron? Yeah. I, I, you you've had some you know, with your job or at home. I mean, I'm I'm sure there's been a lot of different yeah. changes that you've you've adapted to for sure so you know they're good and bad highs and lows blessings and and difficulties um i have have really kind of to to eric's point and could lead into what i was about to say but there's i've always said there's two types of thinkers in the world what is thinkers and what if thinkers eric tends to be a what if thinker um i have tried to force myself into being a more what if thinker um and I've, I've done that or been forced to do that because of kind of financially um our uh line of work that that i'm in is has really been heavily hit by um COVID. so i essentially have not had a steady paycheck really since the beginning of the pandemic so it's been a little bit of this and a little bit of that and, and Kind of figuring things out and, and improvising. Um, at the very beginning of the pandemic, I was uh, one of the people at at our uh, center that got more hours than others, and um, it's just kind of the nature of the beast given my role. Um, now at this point, I'm getting fewer hours than than other people, and um, you know, being able to plan for that and and plan for you know, all the financial ramifications of that has been very, very difficult. Um, I have the, the advantage of having a, a wife who's a stay-at-home mom. So that's been tremendously helpful. We haven't had to juggle childcare and try to figure that out. My wife um, has, a, has a business on the side that she's gotten very, very creative with and been able to raise a little bit of money. Um, but, but yeah, it's, it's been difficult. Um, I, you guys always tease me all the time because I'm, I'm the most gold person that I know. I tend to be very, very conservative with my money and, you know, just our, our family is, we do a good job of saving and thank goodness that that's the case because had we not had some money put away, it would have been much, much, much more stressful, um, during this time than, than maybe it, it could have been. So, you know, all, all told, um, I, I think it's been a really positive thing in a lot of ways because I haven't seen my wife, I haven't seen my kids this much really ever since we've been married. Um, and I remember, you know, and then this pandemic kind of hit in waves and everybody was scrambling and, okay, what do we do from a um, business perspective? And do we shut down or do we not shut down? Or if so, to what extent? Um, I remember when, when I got some directive from leadership that, oh yeah, we need to kind of sit on this for another couple of weeks. And I let my wife and my kids know the kids were literally cheering, jumping up and down, screaming, daddy's going to be home more. Um, because I didn't have any work for two weeks. So it was cool to see things from their eyes because, um, as, as hard as this is, and, and I haven't been hit 
personally by it from from a health perspective and nobody really that I know um, but you know you you look at it from kids perspectives and that's a good reminder of hey we're gonna be okay um, and it's it's been really cool to see how much time I've gotten to spend with my kids and that's something I've um, I've noticed I guess as a family um even though i still go into work i go into work four days a week i come home earlier now because there's nobody at work to distract me so i can get more accomplished in less hours um and go home earlier and so i get to see my kids more in the afternoon in the evening and then on wednesdays I, i work from home and so you know, I'll get done with the meeting or I'll work for a couple hours and I'll go downstairs for a bit and then I'll go back up and work some more. And, and, and so it's really changed my outlook on my, you know, home work-life balance in a good way. I I think it it really has helped me. And I understand there's tens of millions of Americans that have jobs that regardless of this pandemic, it's not going to allow them to do that. However, um, it has helped me kind of refocus, um, my priorities with my family and my time with my kids and my wife. Um, and this, this podcast is a direct result yeah. of that. It is? is that I had all this. Really? Yeah. I had all this time. I was planning to do this anyway. Well, I was sitting at home and I'm like, <laughs> I started to write more and, uh, you know, and, and, and just. I've noticed since I've had to start editing that this podcast, Instagram I have less page. time with my family. Yeah, <laughs> you really need to get that to Nick. It's his job. Um, but the podcast started as I, you know, I created that Instagram page and the Twitter account for History by Jake and started just posting history stuff. And then you, Eric, messaged me like, should we do a podcast? I'm like, yeah, let's do it. And like, this is the time where I had the time yeah. to say, this is something I've always <laughs> wanted to do. And... We tried in college. If not now, when? <laughs> yeah, we tried something in college. <laughs> your your lovely wife literally called. We were on the college radio station because all you had to do is ask, basically, to get on college Sign up radio. on a piece of paper. And we said, all right, we'll do it. And so we filled up a piece of paper that said, we're not going to, you know, swear and fart on air. I don't know what it was, but... And we were doing it, and Amy, sorry, we literally got called by his lovely wife, and she said, please stop. (laughs) On air. (laughs) She called us on air and said, please stop. (laughs) You guys have come a long way. (laughs) No, no, that's still uh, the message I get most days. Please stop. Well, but now it's it's pre-recorded, so she can't do it to us live. That's (laughs) the difference now. should be in the comments yeah, that section. Was that. So what was I talking about? Family. Anyway, this whole podcast started as a result of I had the time to do this. And I said, like, I, got, like, I thought about, like, this is something I've always kind of wanted to do. And if we don't do it now, when will I do it? Um, and that's a, a big development on a positive note. You know, not yeah. upending my job or or school with my kids or, you know, anything like that. It was like, this has given me an opportunity to do something I've always kind of wanted to do. Yeah, yeah. The, 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 the positive on all this, no matter how you're using your time, and, and everybody does that differently. But, you know, you talk about all those things that, you know, house projects and, um pet projects and, and whatever it is, things that people really haven't had the opportunity to do are getting that opportunity now. And we're, we're never going to get this time back. I, in some ways, I think some of us will be sad um, when things are back to quote unquote normal um, because there's yeah. been a lot of good that has come out of this. And, you know, knowing that all our, many of our listeners are, are believers and we're all believers in, in Christ as well, but you know, um, God always gets His way, and, and God finds a, a way to kind of weasel into our lives. And and you know, we've ignored God too much as a country, as as families, and 
um, it's just been a great opportunity for, I know our family to mm -hmm. just do a better job of um, Christian education with our children and not just allowing the school or just allowing the church to do that. Um, our, our family, my wife and I have been trying to be very intentional about that. And, um, you know, we did a, a Seder meal for, for Passover, um, for instance, and, you know, we had time to set that up and time to, to talk about that. And the kids absolutely loved it. It was, it was a cool thing. And now we're going to do that every year. Um, that's cool. So yeah, just, just looking at big picture wise, um, we're going to look back on this years from now and say, this is going to be a positive thing. I think. I think so. And I, I think what you said there really touches on some, some good stuff is that it, it refocused our, our priorities, you know, it's easy to get distracted by technology and it's easy to get distracted by things and mm -hmm. stuff. Uh, but when you can't go out and eat whenever you want and you can't go to movies and you can't go to water parks or Disney World or all, well, I guess you can go to Disney World now again <laughs> for some reason they opened up. But um, when you can't do Florida those man things, then you look up at Disney World. You look, I know. You look at your wife and you look at your kids and you're like, you want to go outside and play like it's like that you just find stuff to do and our kids have been uh playing we have just a little inflatable pool but they're out in that thing almost every day um and we got our daughter enrolled in online spanish class and so she's learning spanish now as something to do during the summer break and um it's just a, a great way for us to to kind of expand our boundaries while we're confined if that kind of makes sense. Um, I did want to ask, um, do you, any of you guys have any concerns about you personally contracting COVID or your family? I know in the last episode we talked about Eric, I, I, I don't know if you said it's your fun. son was getting a test Yeah, still and you hadn't had the results yet. No. And so we we're on day seven right now so i haven't heard I, I i mean he's fine he's been on antibiotics no fever nothing since then so highly doubtful no news is good news right yeah and and he hasn't had any symptoms so you know i'm i'm i'm, I'm not worried there as far as possibly contracting it you know i'm the one who tends to go out the most um it's not a lot um but I'm pretty cautious. I've got hand sanitizer in the car. I've got my mask. You know, I I watch what I touch. I'm very conscience, conscious about that kind of stuff now. I actually have been since early March when mm -hmm. we first started talking about it. I, I just, I started taking more precautions on a daily basis, especially in the classroom. I was like, all right, wash my hands, hand sanitizer. Don't need unnecessary touching of things that, that could contract this for me um but i'm not particularly concerned i think one one of the things i wanted to touch on from the last episode you know we talked about the statistics and i came across a facebook post it was a picture of a post so it was suspect but i looked a little bit more into it and there's some sources for it and it was like you know let's say one percent is a mortality well if everyone in the united states gets gets this that's three million dead but what it then talked about is kind of what I, I failed to mention last time was all of the other possible health effects that we don't know yet. You know, things like stroke, mm -hmm. um, you know, increase of heart disease, uh, lung capacity issues, um, possible cancers down the line, all these different things. Um, so I'd say I'm more concerned about that than I am about dying of covid I'd be more concerned mm -hmm. about having a lessened lung capacity or a higher chance of stroke or something. Um, but I'm not at the moment overly concerned. And even when we go back to school, knowing that we're going to have certain procedures in place that um, hand sanitizing as we enter rooms, masks on at all times, I'm not super concerned with contracting this. So, yeah. yeah. How about how about you, Cameron? I've I've been blessed with um, 
relatively good health other than my left knee and my right foot throughout the years. So um, I don't know, maybe, maybe my head is in the sand, but I don't fear it really at all. Um, I, I don't really think twice about touching the shopping cart or anything like that. I mean, obviously I'm not, I'm not putting it to the test and asking people to cough in my face or something like that. But um, I, do, I don't really think about it much. Um, we've done a pretty good job of isolating our kids from it. Um, to Eric's point, we, you know, I've done most of the grocery shopping and that kind of thing, but it's really not out of sequestering ourselves from the virus. It's really just um, hanging out and being together. Um, and, and usually I'm out at work or out doing stuff. So I'll go on my way home to the grocery store and then, and then come back. So it's just kind of the way that it's worked out more than mm-hmm. changing our lives due to the, the virus and the germs itself. That's uh, and I, I, I guess I tend to agree with it and I am known for stating how I'm not afraid of any germs and, uh, how no germ is going to ever take me out. And I, <laughs> and I still, uh, generally hold true to that ridiculous notion. Uh, However, you know, in our family, my wife has some, um, you know, she's got some health concerns in, in that she has a compromised immune system. And so a cold to me is a cold, but a cold to her can, can be a lot more severe and can last a lot longer. And so that's something where I'm not worried about me getting COVID. And even if I did get it, I wouldn't be afraid that I would have any long-term health effects or, you know, die from it. I am concerned about my wife getting it. And I am concerned about my kids getting it. Um, when, uh, when all this first started about a week or so after the governor kind of put the state home order in place, uh, I was at work and I was the only one at work that day. And I was on a call and the call was like three hours long. And I was like, man, this is killing me. Like, this is just a terrible call and I feel like garbage. And then I realized, no, it wasn't the call. I just feel like garbage. I feel sick. My whole body hurts. And I went home and uh, I, my wife asked me, she's like, can you go to the store and get milk or something? I'm like, sure. So I put a mask on. I went to the store and and the store is only a block away and I almost passed out driving to the store cause I felt so bad. <laughs> and then my wife got sick and then my kids got sick and I'm like, did I bring COVID into this house? And, uh, it was a, it was a concern and I felt fine the next day. Like I felt great. Um, I still stayed home and I didn't work those next two days just to be sure, but I felt fine. My wife, however, she remained sick for a while and my kids recovered pretty quickly. But I'm like, I think that's when it got serious to me. That's when I'm like, I can't. And not that I was being risky, but I need to be extra precautious and I need to be extra sure. Because even if I'm okay, that's not an excuse for me to behave irresponsibly and endanger someone else, namely my wife and kids. Um, Yeah. But... That doesn't, you know, I come into contact with other people. I don't want to put them at risk because of my poor behavior. Um, And so that's when it really kind of hit home that this isn't, and I don't think I had COVID. I I honestly don't. But getting sick right when everything is shutting down was enough of a shot across the bow to warn me that, hey, man, don't don't mess around with this Mm -hmm. just because you think you're tough enough, um, which is, you know, my normal default response to any sort of sickness. They could have used you in the 13th century. (laughs) Yeah. You'd have been the one digging graves. (laughs) I'm fine. Yeah. Give me a shovel. (laughs) I'll bury those bodies. Come from a long line of ditch diggers, the <laughs> tradition of our family. Um, but I, I guess that's to me. It's this is an interesting time in that 
and I've said this before to other people, I go, I felt like 9-11 was my 9-11, but I think this is my new 9-11. And it's sad that I have to have two of them in less than 20 you know, years. But I think this is one of those things where I'm going to go back and say, yeah, I remember when the world shut down and... You know, that's a, a generational thing. I, I get the opportunity at work. I, I meet with a lot of different people from a lot of different walks of life. And, and one of my absolute favorite things about what I do is I get to hear these stories from people and, you know, um, how it affects their lives and what are you doing for work? And do you work at home or you know, there, there's so many people that I've talked to and I got the opportunity to talk to a doctor one day and I thought, oh my gosh, this is so cool. And, you know, I don't know many people in the um, medical profession personally. And I just had the chance to talk to this guy and he was, he was speculating and obviously he knew what he was talking about. So it was just cool to, to pick his brain. And then another day I was, I was talking to a, a roofer who said that, you know, usually, you know, in, in Phoenix, we have to work on the schools. So he has, he works for government contracts oftentimes and he works for the schools. And um, typically the work that he gets done is during the summer when it's blazing hot. He said, oh, because of the, the COVID and the, the quarantine, I can get this work done when it's nice outside. And this was back in April. So he absolutely was loving his life right you now. Know, I, had a, I had a school parent who... Um talking to her about what her work was and this is right after we shut down we were having our our, our materials pickup day and I asked or no it was uh, a couple weeks later I, I gave her a phone call and I asked I said so you own your own business and it's like a it's like a flooring tile counter business like they do those materials so mm-hmm. I kind of asked her you know how was business she said it's it's as good as it could ever be because all the schools are like, well, now we're going to do redo our floors and the home builds are like, well, nobody's moving in so we can knock out a bunch of these houses and put new counters in now. And it was kind of like an odd thing that certain sectors get this boon during this time um, because things have shut down that they can do more work. Um, and and to your point, Jake, when you said, you know, kind of our 9-11, our second 9-11, um, I, I made that reference multiple times uh, during the week that we shut down. So I was in the middle of a, teaching a unit on the Great Depression. Um, we were actually teaching the unit on the Roaring Twenties, and we were doing stock trading. And I had put up all these, I'd been getting the Wall Street Journal for several weeks and, and just plastering the Wall Street Journal business page on my walls. And if you followed the stock market in late February and early March, there was no good news on any single day of a Wall Street Journal page. Every arrow was pointing mm-hmm. down. You know, we had lost uh, over those three weeks, we lost like 10,000 points in the Dow. So I had been putting this up all over the wall before our classroom stock market crashed. Mm-hmm. And then everything shut down. And I remember having students pick stuff up or the parents would pick stuff up and I was in the room and I would chat with them for a few minutes and kind of making that reference to say, you know, for me, when I was in eighth grade, Timothy McVeigh blew up the federal building in Oklahoma City. I remember that. I remember my senior year of high school, the shootings at Columbine. I remember my junior year of college, 9-11. For my students, seventh graders, this is that first big moment that they'll probably remember very clearly and vividly. And to the point that, you know, 9-11 that day was, that day was rough. I mean, I, I, Jake, you were in college, I was in college. That, that was a rough day. It was a rough week, but then it, then it kind of faded in a way like the visceral, painful, um, gut wrenching feelings kind of faded. But if you're a seventh grader right now, 
you're still in it, right? We're still stuck in it at this moment. This is not, um, you know, 9 a.m. on a Tuesday morning in September in New York City. This is five months everywhere, every day. Yeah, it's more, uh, it's more like the Great Depression than it is 9-11, right? right? Yeah. Or is this extended period of... And even... This is life now, and we need to adapt to life now. Yeah. And so it's interesting that you alluded to the stock market crash. Yeah, because uh, the stock market crash didn't actually... That you were working on. Uh, you know, I had a, a great conversation with a student during, um, during parent-teacher conferences. Or no, no, it was on a Zoom call with a student and his and his parent and his mom they own a gym in town and mm -hmm. uh you know we we were still doing the great depression at this point and i was trying to explain to him like this is a big deal like people are out of work and so she chimes in she's like yeah we have this many workers and we're not going to be able to pay them for two months mm-hmm so, you know, and she kind of talked about the position they were in. She's like, we have this much time that we can pay. After that, we're out of money if we're not bringing anything in. And trying to get him to understand, like, we were just discussing the Great Depression and how it just kind of affected everybody. And the stock market crash didn't even bother most people. It was a year later when the banks closed that it really hurt people. Mm -hmm. So, you know, this shutdown... <clears throat> obviously hurt a lot of people and trying to explain to students a you're living through a historical moment whether you like it or not but b we've we have things we can look back on and say we've been through things like this before we'll, we'll mm -hmm. be okay but it's going to be rough but yeah it's it's not a 9-11 moment it's more of a Great Depression moment. And I, and I don't want to call it a Great Depression. It just, in terms of length of time and the fact that it's just kind of this lasting situation um, is what makes it similar. Because the stock market is doing great no matter yeah. what. So obviously that's tied to reality. <laughs> well, yeah, this, it's always, you can always rely on the stock market. But I, I do think... Uh, and maybe that's a great way to end this is because the Great Depression eventually did end. But the America that existed before the Great Depression and the America that existed after the Great Depression are two fundamentally different nations in how they functioned and how and how the role of government acted yeah. and, and how it became a more active um, involved federal government as opposed to the laissez-faire type of governance that it existed in the 20s. And and I think... And can I interject there? That's going to be... And not to make light yes. of it. But, you know, Herbert Hoover followed Calvin Coolidge as president. And it was under yeah. Herbert Hoover that everything kind of fell apart. And Herbert Hoover ran for his second term. The Republican Party asked informally... And then tried to pressure Calvin Coolidge to come back and run and, and basically primary Herbert Hoover and 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 run against Roosevelt. And we would get another Calvin Coolidge reference in there. Wait well, a, and, and I sneak that in. Listen, there. I, I'm not gonna hey, I'm a what if guy, right? So what if Calvin Coolidge yeah. against his against his better judgment uh, runs? And he's then president in 1933 instead of FDR and takes a yeah. fundamentally well, different approach. you don't approach. have the New Deal. Yeah. You don't have the no, New Deal. No New Deal. And, and, and just you, Great Depression. Yeah, you don't have a lot sooner of than. Social Security. <laughs> That's the theory. Yeah. I mean, that was that was the, the Although, idea behind it is that depressions, the depressions and recessions come and go, but you don't want to interfere with it because it can extend yeah. them which is what people said happened with but yeah now we're and, and but calvin coolidge died but I, died just a couple years he wouldn't have lasted through his entire term then um yeah but you know it's interesting um because when you say fundamentally different before and after the great depression um it, it I, I always like to say that that 
the office of the executive um, isn't as powerful as, as we, we think it is. We pretend it's more powerful than it is. It's a lot more powerful than it used to be, but um, even so, a certain person in that office at a certain time can have drastic impact and consequences on the decisions and, mm-hmm. and direction of a nation in a crisis. Yeah. And I think the decisions that get made in the next 12 to 18 months in dealing with COVID and, and how we respond to it as a nation at all levels of government is going to define America much like the decisions made by FDR in the 30s. It, and, and it's going to define America for the next not just generation, but generations mm-hmm. uh, down the road. And so I think that's a great lead into what we're going to talk about next, because then we're getting into specifics like, well, how do we think education is going to be different? Or how do we think uh, the economy is going to be different or the role of government or, or a or number of things and, and or craft beer companies that, you know, they're doing the Lord's work there. <laughs> so we don't we don't want to lose them. No, they'll be fine. They'll um, be fine. And I think, I think that's uh, that's the really exciting part about this topic for me, is is the what ifs, and how will things be different uh, at the end of twenty twenty one or beginning of twenty twenty two, looking that far ahead. Yeah. So that kind of wraps up this episode of Dabod History did, Pandemic uh, Project. Did anyone like start drinking more? Oh, yeah, I took my wife's notes. I'm a good husband. I listen. When she says drink more, I go, yes, ma'am. I kind of stuck to one thing. It was Jameson and ginger ale. Well, it's just been the one thing. It's just a lot more of it. What are you drinking? (laughs) Jack and Coke. I mean, it's just... Hey, Old Faithful. And I'm just... And I've got the Pat's Blue Ribbon because I'm on a budget right now. Budget beer. Hey. <laughs> they won a blue ribbon 130 years ago. So that's it's good enough for them. It's good enough for me. Is that the only color yeah. the ribbons came in that year? Look, you know, color <laughs> color was tough back then. Okay. You didn't... They still had dyes. Anyway. And... All right. Well, okay. Now we're getting off the rails here. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, that's the end of this episode of Pandemic to Progress. Uh, We'll definitely make sure we talk about how beer has progressed and how much better it's going to be at the end of this pandemic. (laughs) Um, But please like, subscribe, follow us on uh, all our various platforms. And uh, we look forward to Share with your friends, too, and enemies. And about history. And cut. (laughs) 